Welcome to Get Over It, the Consciousness Transforming Podcast for Exceptional 21st Century Living. Guess what, folks? We've got Ronnie Pontiac back, and we're talking about his latest book, The Magic of the Orphic Hymns, a new translation for the modern mystic. Now, this subject is going to be probably new to a lot of people. However, uh, his book explains it very, very well, so we're going to let uh, Ronnie, take a deep dive into this and educate us. Now, the information shared on Get Over It uses intuitive and pragmatic insight to help you shift your consciousness to break through blocks and release energy that is no longer needed. Yes, we're going to help you let go of the BS that's been holding you back. But you guys know I always ask, are you truly ready to? And by the way, folks, BS is belief system. A bit about me for my new listeners, intuitive since birth. I'm a third-generation intuitive with over three decades of experience supporting people to break through the blocks along their path. I'm a strategist for personal and professional transformation, revealing cutting-edge information that enables you to prosper and thrive. I spent 25 successful years in corporate America as an executive sales professional. I'm the founder of Healing Visions Ministries and the Northern California Children's Education Network, a 501c3 nonprofit. I provide consultations and healings in all areas of life that heal the mind-body-spirit connection, allowing you to live your very best life. My clients tell me that I keep it real while providing them with accurate information to assist them along their journey as a spirit living a human existence. But they also say, if you really don't want to know, don't ask Monique. My background includes a doctorate in metaphysics, Reiki master teacher, ordained minister, and clinical hypnotherapist. So whether you are stressed, depressed, or possessed, I can help. To find out more about me and the services I offer, go to my website, that's moniquechapman.com, and I invite you to like me on Facebook and follow me on LinkedIn. My guest today, Ronnie Pontiac, worked as Manly P. Hall's research assistant, screener, and designated substitute lecturer for seven years. He's the author of American Metaphysical Religion, and he wrote the biographical introduction to Letters to the Sage. He's written, written many esoteric books and journals. You can find them all on Amazon.com. He's also a musician. So, you know, put his name in the search engine. Check him out. He's a very deep, deep person. Welcome, Ronnie. Hi, Monique. I'm so delighted to be back here with you. I am so glad that you are here. Um, this book is interesting. And folks, um, you can go back and listen to our interview together on the book, American Metaphysical Religion, quite 
uh, eye-opening. So Ronnie, thanks for coming back. Let's just jump right into this. I would love for you to give us an education about Orpheus and the Orphic hymns, okay? So yeah. why don't you jump in, start talking. I'll kind of butt in if I have a question, but I'd love to hear everything that you have to share with us. Okay, let's talk about Orpheus first. Okay. But before I tell you anything, I have to give you a disclaimer, which is that in the world of academia, where all this new research about this subject has been happening, there are arguments about almost everything I'm going to tell you. It's okay. all a mystery within a mystery within a mystery, and no one's really sure of any of it. And we'll keep that in mind as we tell you what are the general parameters of this whole new area that has been uncovered. Okay. So Orpheus, we know him best through myth. He was on the Argo, the ship that Jason took to get the golden fleece in Greek mythology. His job there was to play songs that kept the crew uh, from fighting or becoming depressed from being at sea and away from home so long. His music was so strong that even the dreaded sirens uh, were silenced by it. And he also, wherever the Argo stopped, he would meet the local people, find out about their religion and create songs that could be used in mystery schools that he established. So mm -hmm. he was considered to be really by the Greeks, the person who was the founder of the whole tradition of the mysteries where people would be educated about the true nature of their souls and the meaning of life and how to have a good relationship with deities and with nature. And so that particular Orpheus is, is was there such a person? Uh, there was at one time arguments that there were five different Orpheuses who were all blended together. But currently, uh, most academics believe that there really never was an Orpheus. And in fact, one of the more interesting theories from a book called uh, Black Athena is that it actually is an Egyptian word. Uh, there's an Egyptian word called something along the lines of Orpheus, and it means a hereditary prince. So one scholar, Martin Bernal, has argued that very likely a lot of the Orphic mysteries came from Egypt. And, mm -hmm. and in fact, the Greeks said so and, and said that Orpheus had traveled to Egypt to be educated there by the priests. And so now the other Orpheus of myth is the famous story of the backward glance. And that is that on Orpheus's wedding day, when he was going to marry Eurydice, she was noticed by someone who was either a shepherd or a satyr, a kind of half goat, half human, and uh -huh. who was so overcome with passion for her that he, he tried to force her on her wedding day and chased her. She ran and she fell into a, a pit of vipers where she was bitten and she died. Orpheus yeah. found her and of course was, was heartbroken. And so he started to sing these incredible laments and they were so powerful, this music that he was singing that nature began to weep even the gods began to weep and everything stopped. All of creation uh, just fell into the sorrow with him. The gods mm -hmm. realizing that they had to stop this because the world had to keep going, told him to go into the underworld and to sing 
for the judge of the dead, Hades, and to ask him to release Eurydice back to him. So he did it. He went into the underworld and he sang his song. And the story goes that as he was walking through the underworld, all the ghosts gathered around him and there were like giant crowds of all the dead of all time. And even those who were being punished in the underworld, like Sisyphus, uh, he didn't have to keep rolling the rock up the hill. And uh -huh. uh, the liver of Prometheus who brought fire to human beings, which was uh, eaten every single day by a vulture, suddenly the vulture stopped because even the vulture wanted to listen to the song of Orpheus. Hades uh, prevailed upon by his wife, Persephone, who was somebody, I mean, basically she was a rape victim. Uh, Hades came and captured her and took her away to the underworld. She prevailed on him to release Eurydice. But uh -huh. Hades said, if you, if you are allowed to take her back, you must promise me that you will not look back until she reaches the sunlight. If you do look back while she's still in the underworld, you will lose her. So Orpheus is walking. You can hear her footsteps behind him. He's, he's trying to be patient. He walks out into the sunlight. He keeps walking walks longer than he wants to thinking surely this must be enough time for her to have made it to the sunlight of course mm -hmm. he turns around a moment too soon in his anxiousness yeah. and she's still in the shadows and he loses her so he goes to a hilltop in his home country of thrace and then every morning at dawn he sings to apollo who is the the spirit the mind the soul of the sun and Apollo, taking pity on him, teaches him the mysteries of the divinities and how to uh, have a religious relationship, a spiritual relationship with the divine. And so that teaching is something that the, the men of the country become fascinated by, and they all start to gather with Orpheus. But this is changing the religion of that place, the worship of Dionysus, which was a very a somewhat savage and, and primitive religion, but very powerful for women. And the story goes that the women were very upset with Orpheus for changing the religion of Dionysus. So they tore him apart. His head was thrown into a river and was said to still sing. And it floated out to sea and then landed in the island of Lesbos, where music and lyric poetry were pretty much uh, invented and transformed. Apollo was said to have taken the head of Orpheus and to create a shrine around it, which became a famous oracle. And the nightingales were said to sing more sweetly there. So those are the myths about Orpheus. And then the, the history that we have of, of all things Orphic seems to start around the time of Pythagoras. And one of the big theories is that all the Orphic literature and mythology were invented by Pythagoras and the Pythagoreans as a way to reform religion in Greece. And they succeeded because under the influence of this Orphic literature, the religion of Dionysus changed from a religion where blood sacrifice and even smearing yourself with the blood of the sacrificed animal 
was considered mm -hmm. part of the ritual where losing yourself in kind of madness and frenzy of intoxication was part of the ritual. And through Orpheus, perhaps Pythagoras stepped into this. And what he said was, what Orpheus is, is supposedly teaching, but perhaps this is Pythagoras, is first of all, how could the gods want sacrifice? They don't. To kill an animal, to, to blood and, and suffering is not what the gods want. If you want to give a sacrifice to a god, do it through your good deeds. Uh, mm. Give the gods flowers, honey, wine, uh, the grain of the harvest, the things that make life worth living. And, and give them music and songs and celebrate life and appreciate them. Don't, don't go into savagery and violence pretending that this pleases the gods. He also taught vegetarianism, which Pythagoras did too. And the idea was that they were teaching uh, reincarnation, basically. We think, we think that Orpheus was teaching that. We know that Pythagoras was. And uh -huh. Pythagoras uh, and the Orphic Mysteries called this the, the wheel, the wearying wheel. That's my cat. That's okay. This cat's got something to say, validating you. <laughs> it's kind of adding a mood. So, yeah. so the, this is called the wheel of deep grief. And uh -huh. that's reincarnation. You keep going into this wheel. We do these cycles of life cycles and we lose ourselves in these lives and forget what we really are and who we really are. And then we have to live life after life. And Orpheus was teaching, the Orphic teachings say that you can be incarnated as an animal. You could even be incarnated as a plant. And so you know, why would you want to, to risk losing yourself this way? It's time to remember what you really are. And now mm -hmm. the, the question now is, so what are we really? So in the Orphic teachings, and again, this is argued about whether it's really Orphic or not, but it seems to be, the idea is that there's a story told that when Dionysus was a baby and his name then was Zagreus, he was Zeus's favorite. And when he was just a little infant, Zeus put him on his own throne, which was a, a you know, saying basically this child has the power that I have. Mm -hmm. And so the Titans who hate the gods and are envious of them and who are destructive, jealous, angry, they see this and they, they resent terribly the happiness of Zeus and this baby Zagreus. So they use these toys, uh, balls, a mirror, a tuft of cotton, but these are all symbolic. The balls are the planets and the mirror is the way that, that we get sucked into incarnation. And, and then they were said to have drawn Zagreus from the throne of Zeus into some dark corner of the universe where Zeus couldn't see him and they killed him and they made him into a stew and they ate him. And because they were cannibals. And when Zeus saw what happened, he threw lightning and everything was destroyed and turned into this kind of ash that was a combination of the bodies and souls of the Titans and the body and the soul of Dionysus. And this ash is what human beings were made from. So we are partly Titan. 
we're partly envious, angry. We only want what we want. We have a tendency to be destructive, even when we want to do something that's constructive. And mm -hmm. we act out, we lash out when we feel that we don't have what we desire. That's the Titan part. And because of that part, the gods have a hard time trusting us, according to these myths. However, we're also partly Dionysus. And so we, have, we are called the tears of Dionysus because all the little, you know, as he was torn apart, all the bits of Dionysus that went out there all became individualized souls, divine souls. And they forget, we forget ourselves in, in these reincarnated lives as we, we kind of try to purge the Titan out of ourselves. When we mm -hmm. remember ourselves and we become divine, then we are greeted by the gods. You know, after all, we're Zeus's grandchildren if we are children of Dionysus. So mm -hmm. the, the famous saying in Orphism is that when you die and you cross over to the other side, you will see people kind of lined up and there's a terrible thirst. And there's this lake that everybody wants to drink from. And this is the lake of forgetting. And you should not drink there. You should continue down the path. And then as you get far enough, you will see a guardian. And the guardian will ask you, well, why are you here and who are you? And the answer that you're supposed to say is, I am a child of earth and of starry heaven, but my race is of heaven. This mm -hmm. you know. Give me a drink of refreshing water from the fountain of memory. And so you drink the water of memory, and now you remember everything. That life you just had, the, all the lives that you lived. But most importantly, you remember that you are an eternal consciousness. You are a divine being who is experiencing all these, these limits. Okay. Question though. Sure. How, or is it possible to escape the reincarnation wheel? Is, is yes. that what happens when we drink from yes. the water you just mentioned? Yes. That's what happens. We, we escape okay. the wheel. Mm -hmm. Good. Cause I'm kind of like <laughs> done. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's that's the well. That's the beauty of it is is that this whole mythology is about liberation and freedom. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, what is the magic within the Orphic hymns? Um, was it? Uh, someone said that there's no magic that's stronger than the Orphic hymns. So, is it the the words of the song, the tune of the songs, the tones? What is it that makes it so magical? That's a great question. Um, to answer it, we have to talk about Marsilio Ficino, who has been called the father of the Renaissance. He was a Catholic priest in Florence, Italy, who at a time when Plato and Orpheus and Aristotle and all that stuff was completely lost for hundreds of years to Europe, he had in his hands manuscripts of Plato and probably the Orphic hymns because he did translate them, although we don't know where he got them from. And he wanted to translate all this stuff more than anything. 
and he didn't have the resources to do it. So in, in frustration and longing to do this, he sang a hymn to the cosmos and from the Orphic hymns. And within a very short amount of time, he received a letter from Cosmo de Medici, who was a powerful ruler of the time and who told him, I'm giving you a house and a village to provide you with what you need so that you can translate all of these materials. And in fact, I'm waiting for you at this house. Please bring your lyre and sing to us and, and teach us about the wisdom of Plato. So mm -hmm. he was he was invited to come sing the hymns of Orpheus. And Cosmo was so impressed that, that he supported Ficino in every way he could for the rest of his life. And the Renaissance really came from that because together they created the Platonic Academy of Florence, which revived the teachings of Plato. And in singing the hymns and making these materials available, uh, he, uh, Ficino was a huge influence on, on the people of the time. So to give you an example, we have a journal from the composer Poliziano who said, you know, I went and I listened to uh, him singing the hymns tonight and all of our friends gathered. And it was so inspiring that I came home and I wrote music all night long. And he wound up creating an opera about Orpheus. And, oh, wow. and the person who did the sets for that opera was Leonardo da Vinci. So all these famous people in the Renaissance were, were directly influenced by the, these hymns. So mm -hmm. he's the guy who said that there was no magic more powerful than the Orphic hymns. And as to the, as what did he mean by that? So he said that, he learned from Orpheus that love existed and that it held the keys to the whole world. And these are his words. The whole power of magic consists in love. The work of magic is the attraction of one thing by another because of an affinity of nature. So, and then by the way, Agrippa, who is sort of the, the father of the whole history of Western esotericism and is, is probably the most plagiarized writer on the subject <laughs> ever. He said uh -huh. the same thing. He said, um, really, you know, if you're interested in this stuff, you can make up your own hymns, but go research the hymns of Orpheus, because if you do them with the right circumstances, with appropriate harmony and your focus is complete, they are the most effective natural magic. So it means that, that in these hymns, there is some kind of, of, of revelation about love. So what is this revelation of love in the hymns? In my opinion, Tamara, my co-author uh, agrees with me. These hymns are a way of, of tuning ourselves to the divine in our lives. Every one of these hymns talks about a different aspect of the human experience. And mm -hmm. every one of these hymns reveals the wisdom and the beauty that the divine has, has weaved into every experience that we have. So even an experience as formidable as death has a hymn to it. And this is not a hymn where, where we are asking death for mercy or more time or anything like that. Death is recognized as someone that can't be bargained with, but we, we see the wisdom of death in the hymn because the hymn, um, on the one hand, asks death 
to lead us away from that weary wheel of deep grief, away from the wheel of reincarnation, that death provides that, that opportunity to wake up and remember and to not have to come back. And that on the other hand, that death teaches us to cherish life. Because when we lose loved ones, human beings have a tendency to, to live in a kind of forgetfulness. And, and then we lose someone that we love and we realize that, that life is fragile. And, and then we begin to cherish each of the, the people and the other, the things that are meaningful to us and to appreciate the divinity and the beauty in, in having them in our lives. And so in thanking death for these gifts, the hymns find even in death, uh, the divine wisdom and, and the opportunity to liberate ourselves from repeating this ignorant, I just keep coming back because I don't remember what I am pattern. Um, can we be aware in, you know, waking time as we're talking right now about our path as far as uh, putting an end to this cycle, or even if we choose to keep the cycle going, are, are there certain awarenesses that come in that people should recognize? I think so. I think that that you can, because part of it is that the whole teaching here, and, and I should say that that the teachings of Plato are just filled with Orphic ideas, even though Plato uh, was rather insulting about Orpheus, who he called a coward, uh, and said all musicians are cowardly, which might be the first mus musician joke in history. But, mm -hmm. but Plato's whole idea was that philosophy is preparing to die in a sense. It's, it's getting ourselves ready. It's, it's waking up before we die. So mm -hmm. this is definitely what Orpheus is teaching. And in the Orphic mysteries, whatever they were, we have some ideas, but, but we don't really know for sure what the activities associated around these mysteries were. They may have been as simple as symposiums where people uh, sang or read the Orphic hymns, or they could have been actual mysteries where there was some kind of ritual and experiences and theatrical uh, productions almost going on. But whatever was happening, you people write about how it changed their lives. So the great historian Plutarch said that he and his wife experienced the Orphic mysteries and it helped them to deal with the death of their son and with other tragedies that happened to them because they felt that they had seen the immortality of their own souls through the experience of these mysteries. And also we were asked by the Orphic tradition to live in a certain way. So we, we were asked to to make our decisions based on the idea that we are eternal beings that are here to bring the harmony of the divine into the world and that we're not here simply to lose ourselves in the everyday kinds of challenges and opportunities that most people live through all their lives without ever thinking about these deeper subjects. So it's certainly possible and was exemplified by Pythagoras, for example, to wake up and, and to have that memory. So they talk about, you can even remember your past lives. You can, you, you, you get glimpses. So if you're on this path, you might suddenly see something or run into some uh, material or place and, and have that overwhelming feeling of, I've been here. I, this, this is part of my life in the past. That kind of waking up starts to happen. 
you also develop much greater compassion. So when you see somebody who's doing something hateful, you, you don't immediately react with, with anger. You feel a sense of, my goodness, you know, here is this soul, this divine soul that has lost itself so badly that it's down here acting like a titan. It's mm. hating and it's destroying and it's doing evil things. And it's so much forgotten what it really is. And when you start to see the world that way and you, you, you kind of, you can appreciate even the dark aspects of it, the, the negative experience is part of the wonder of it. Because after all, if we're eternal souls, we have all the time in the world to learn and to experience. And even, you know, those moments of loss uh, sharpen the fact that we were able to share our journey through this, this uh, temporary world uh, with those we love. And so I think ultimately, as Ficino was saying, that, that love is what we feel as we rise in this awareness. We feel love for those around us. We feel love for life. And we feel love for the opportunity to, to wake up and, and view the world from that higher perspective. Wow. <laughs> you have given us a lot to think about, a lot to even embrace. How can one utilize the Orphic hymns today? I was, um, when I was going through the book, one that caught my attention was the uh, Hikate. How, how can we utilize the hymns to support us in our life now? I think that there's there's many different ways to do it. So the simplest thing, and and I think they work this way, is, is you can just enjoy reading them. And you can read one and then pause and consider and contemplate uh, what you've just experienced by reading it and what it means to have a deity that is responsible for this part of life. And But you can also sing them. Like when we first started working on them, uh, Tamara and I, uh, very softly sat in the window of our apartment in the middle of Hollywood on the third story and, mm -hmm. and just softly sang them. And, and it was amazing. We had, we had synchronicities that occurred that were, I mean, pretty stunning. Just to give you one example, when we did the hymn to Athena, we, we, I mean, there were not owls where we lived in the middle of Hollywood. And mm. and in broad daylight, a great horned owl came down oh, wow. and sat on the closest telephone pole for the entire mm -hmm. hymn. And then when we finished the hymn, the owl jumped down, swooped right at us in the window, and then uh -huh. swooped up and over the building. And oh, there were wow. many such little <laughs> subtle experiences. Like when we did the hymn to Aphrodite, there was a couple walking hand in hand on the sidewalk under us. They couldn't hear us because we were mm -hmm. way up there, but we saw that they kissed when they got right under us. So, so, so a couple okay. kissed right under us when we did the hymn to Aphrodite. So those kind of strange things happened. That was just from us singing them in a kind of innocent way. We, we did uh, do some of the Orphic prohibitions. So during that time, there were, we didn't do any alcohol or uh, any wow. kind of drugs. We didn't do uh, any uh, meat and just, just trying to be respectful to the tradition. And, and we have these dramatic results. And then there are other people who really get into it, you know, who they do full rituals. So they try to find out what's the right time of day to do this astrologically. 
what times and places and things are sacred to this God. And so they, they set everything up. So they're doing it at, at the right time with symbols around them that are pleasing to the deity that they're addressing. And then they, they address the deity from there. So it, it's just however deep one wishes to go into it. And, and I think it's okay on any level to simply enjoy them as poetic literature or to experiment with them as sacred music and, and just making up your own melodies and, and seeing if they have a good effect. And we did um, give them to people uh, when we were working on them. We gave them to people who are active on the side of um, Greek philosophy and Neoplatonism and theurgy and who do rituals associated to that. And we also gave them to people who are more interested in the pagan side of things and doing kind of uh, more um, witchy kind of rituals. And we got really good feedback uh, from both sides that, that the hymns were working for them. And we tried to make them, uh, they're, not, they're not exact translations. They are, are meant to convey things that the priests would have known, but that we don't. So, for example, there's a lot of detail about, in, in the one that you mentioned there, for instance, we mentioned black puppies because black puppies were sacred to her. Mm -hmm. And so trying to give you a sense of, of these are the things that were sacred to this God. And can you see how, you know, has this been working in your life? So, for example, we have had people say, wow, you know, I, I didn't realize how strong such and such a deity was in my life until I read the hymn and saw that my life was marked over and over again by things associated to this God. And then they feel mm. this sense of gratitude and appreciation. But the main point of the hymns is to tune us, I think, to tune us, to tune our souls so that we can appreciate the divine wisdom that's waiting there to help us. Wow. Um, folks, he put many hymns, or I should say they, because uh, Tamara helped him write the book, put many hymns in the back of the book. And um, you can find yourself just being enchanted by just reading them silently. Okay. But if you decide to put the song to them, a little melody, and to hold it in your heart, I think that many wonderful things will happen to you. Ronnie, I've kept you over our agreed time. <laughs> However, could you give us a pearl of wisdom before I let you go? I will. I want to give this to, because, you know, one of the things that people have a problem with, with the hymns is they're like, who am I talking to? Like, is this okay? Especially if someone has a Christian background. So I want to give a quote from uh, Pico della Mirandola, who was very important during the Orpheus and was a good friend of Ficino. And he addressed that. And this is what he said. He said, the names of the gods that Orpheus sings are not the names of deceiving demons from whom evil and not good comes, but of natural and divine powers distributed in the world by the true God for the great utility of humanity, if we know how to use them. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Um, that hit me uh, very deeply. Uh, Ronnie, as always, I appreciate you. You're welcome back anytime. Oh, thank you. I had a good time. Thanks. And to the audience, I know you appreciated listening to this. And, you know, do yourself a favor. If you're working on your spiritual path, 
The Magic of the Orphic Hymns is a book for you. Um, it is transformative. It's an easy read. Um, he, he writes in, you know, plain English. Any layperson can understand it. And then pick the hymns in the back that, you know, speak to you. Um, just reading them, you can feel a shift within your org field. Um, so thank you for everybody for being here today. Um, go to Amazon, get the book, and remember that the most important choice that you can make is what you choose to make important. Consider making the masterful choice of discovering your magic of the Orphic Hymns above the blessings, light, and love to all. Agape.